you need to find, even if you're struggling, you need to find those one or two good shots, one or two good holes that you can remember, hey, I pay to be here, right? I'm not being paid. This is not my job. This is a fun thing that I do. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we've got part two of my conversation with Jason Nichol. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the improvement curve, shifting your skill bell curve to be better. Why do we swing worse when there's a golf ball there? The difficulty of making swing changes, the value of slow motion swings, Jason's own mental game and his own swing changes, and much more. Also, wait till the end. We get into one of the most important questions that could ever be asked. Jason is a golf coach who works with players on Skillist, but that just scratches the surface on Jason. If you want to know more about him, you should listen to part one. And of course, in the show notes, I'll have links to get to anything uh, about Jason. But before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about three things. First off, the custom weekly practice plan. If you're interested in practicing better and having a much more structured plan for your time to maximize your improvement, then you need a custom weekly practice plan. Here's how it goes. You give me your stats, you tell me when you can typically practice and play, and what resources you have, and I will hand build you a practice plan. You will get a fully filled out week of practice down to the minute when you, which you can use week after week and work on your game in a systematic way. This works great for the off season too. And you don't even need stats really uh, to fill this out. If you have some way to practice and you have some concept of your own game, then that time needs to be optimized and you can use your own assessment of your own game to optimize it. And the best way to do that is with the custom weekly practice plan that I will build for you. So go to joshnicholsgolf.com slash practice dash plan, or go to the link in the show notes to learn more and purchase your practice plan. And next is the one-on-one golf psychology coaching. If you feel like you need one-on-one work on your mental game, that's what I do. Yes, I host this podcast and I build practice plans, but my actual occupation is working with players all over the world on their golf psychology. If you like the topics I cover with guests or my Golf Thought Thursday episodes, this is the exact type of stuff that I work on with players. So if you'd like to take the next step to improve your mental game, then send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com. Maybe put in the uh, subject line one-on-one mental coaching, something along those lines. Or you can visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com to learn more. And then lastly, the mental game assessment. If you would like a less formal intro into mental coaching, where you don't have to spend any money and you don't have to talk to me, you could take the mental game assessment. It's a 15-minute questionnaire that'll give you your mental strengths and your biggest area for mental improvement. All right, let's get into this conversation with Jason Nickel. We're going to jump right into the middle of our conversation. Jason has just given us the analogy that us golfers are like cups. In order to increase our potential to hold more water, aka skill, we have to enlarge our cup, aka create better movement patterns. Okay, let's dive right into that part of the conversation. I hope you enjoy. That difference between how much water there is and how big the cup is, that's like the 
I'm not playing as good as I think I should be, right? How um, I'm changing so much and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to acquire new skill, but I'm, my game is suffering in the, in the short term for it. Is, is that yep. kind of how the analogy? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I had uh, a really, a really good student, um, maybe, I guess three weeks ago, maybe now, um, yeah. he'd been working with me for a couple months and he's like, I don't understand how I haven't broken 90 yet. And I said, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, there's a reason for that. I said, what we're working on is great. We want to keep working on it. It's going to come. It's going to come. Right. And he's like, man, <laughs> shooting like 92s, 90s. Like this is like, just can't break this. I feel so much better. <laughs> he's shot like 70 something. So he went from not being able to break 90 to breaking 80. He just completely skipped that gap. Wow. And he's like, the swing didn't really feel that much different. It just clicked one day. Right. Hmm. And all of a sudden now you break that through and it's like, now you shoot seventies, eighties all the time. Well, we're still obviously going to work on stuff, but that just goes to show you that perfect thing, right. Is we got swinging a much better spot and they starting to build skill in there, skill in there, skill in there. And maybe it doesn't come at the beginning. And that might be like a bit of a mental thing where it's like, Hey, I get so close. I get so close and something else is happening. And there's lots of different aspects that can happen that, that make golf hard, but all of a sudden clicks one day, you're going to get better. I, I had another student. It's another example. He's like, man, I'm working so hard for, I think it was like three months. It's like, I don't feel like I'm getting any better. And I've shot some really bad scores. Golf, golf scores are a bell curve. My goal is always to shift the bell curve to the right. You're going to have bad rounds. You're going to have good rounds. When you know you're really getting better at your overall game is when all of a sudden you go out and you're like, man, I played terrible, but I shot 92 if you used to shoot 100 when you shot terrible yes that is when you really know you're getting better at golf and all of a sudden it'll be like you know let's say you started at 100s and you're shooting 90s in a year two years you're gonna be like man i can't believe i shot 80 okay and that's that's how i try to help golfers i'm not and don't get me wrong you're gonna celebrate the good ones but you just go out and all of a sudden you get all these good bounces and you know putts that should have you know rolled you know six, eight feet go by, hit the pin and drop in. Those are great. You want to celebrate those, but I want to move that whole bell curve to the right. Yeah. We're, us coaches are a little bit sadistic where we're, we're cheering when you play your worst round and you're most frustrated, but it's better. It's like, right. So that's, uh, we're sickos like that. (laughs) Uh, exactly. So, um, why do you think, and I've always wondered this and I've never like, actually poured a bunch of thought into this, but why do you think when you remove a golf ball or have a golf ball there, it changes the movement pattern so much? So uh, a lot of it goes into thought process. Uh, when you have a golf ball there, your main thought is to get the golf ball from point A to point B. Now that's great because that's our end objective. However, if your motor pattern of hitting that and you've hit it 10,000 times, 3,000, 500,000 times, depending on how long you've been golfing for is X. And so your brain knows that the second that you pull the club off that golf ball, your brain's going, we are sending this there Mm -hmm. and we're going to do it how we've done it like that. Uh, Again, an analogy (laughs) that I give a lot of people is brushing your teeth. If you want to make a motor pattern change and I get people that are like, this feels really uncomfortable. Um, You know, I, I have, have trouble going slowly at the beginning i tell them to brush their teeth with their non-dominant hand whatever hand they normally never brush their teeth with think about brushing your teeth it is the most easiest task that you can do you can 
put on that, you can be talking to somebody, thinking about something else, you know, cleaning the sink, whatever, and you're brushing your teeth and you're doing a half decent job of it. If we imagine your dentist said, hey, you're not cleaning your teeth as well as I would like you to. I think you'd do a better job with your left hand. Okay. Tonight, That's weird advice, but teeth. okay. Yeah, 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 for sure. But it gives you this like, all right, well, I've done this a hundred thousand times. It's not hard. You put the toothpaste on there, you take it and you're going to put it in your mouth and you're going to go, holy crap, I can't go as fast. Mm. Okay. And even if I go at some speed, you're still going to make mistakes and it's going to feel super awkward. That is the beginnings of changing a motor pattern. If you brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand for two weeks, three weeks, even though you're only doing it twice a day, Okay, or three, depending on how much you brush your teeth, you're going to be able to get just as good, if not better, brushing it with your other hand. That is the same thing. Now, it is hard to do that because you're like, well, I do a half decent job with my dominant hand. Why do I need to change? Well, we're not doing it correctly. Again, we're trying to build that, that cup up. Right. Okay. It's, it's that professional says, I know enough about the swing and I know enough about you to say, if you make this change, it will be better. It's going to be uncomfortable right now. It's going to take time. It's going to be difficult, but trust me, uh, this, this will be better in the long run. Yeah, for sure. And so going back to why is the pattern easier to do when there's no golf ball? Well, when you take away that golf ball, now your entire intent is moving your body through space and time. You can then feel what you're doing with your forearms, what you're doing with your wrists, what you're doing with your shoulders, your feet, the pressure and everything. Why I love doing slow motion swings. When you do a slow motion swing, it's still a full swing and you don't want to be rigid and you're not like tense. You can feel everything. Okay. And, and it's like this like aha moment. Once you can finally make a full swing, uh, not many people can make a full swing in slow motion at the beginning. It is a skill, just like most things to be able to do. But once you have it, it is so much easier to make any change that you want in the future because you can do that. And it's like, hey, I can feel, let's say, say the club is getting too vertical at the top. Well, we're gonna we're gonna uh, roll the forearm. Okay. Super easy. Okay, we're gonna roll the forearm. Now as we roll the forearm, that is going to open the club base. So we need to add either a stronger grip, a little bit of wrist flexion, something in there to balance those two things out. When you do it slowly, I can feel that exactly. Okay. We bring the club down. It feels good. If you do it too fast though, now what's happening is you're just trying to make the motion and you lose your intent of feeling your body, but with time okay, and repetition, you're going to be able to make that pattern over and over and over again. So the brain is going to be like, Oh yeah, this is our new movement pattern. This is what we want. Yeah. And, and I think on a, on a maybe more zoomed out level than having a golf ball or not having a golf ball, having more pressure, having more importance on around, having more consequences ramps up that, uh, maybe that objective where my objective goes from even just sending golf ball from point A to point B to trying to shoot a good score. And if it's really a really pressure packed round, it's maybe even trying not to mess up or, or needing to shoot a good score to accomplish this or that. So the motor pattern drops, I, I, I guess the best way to put it is you drop down that ladder of that rung to your, like your For lowest. Sure. Absolutely. hundred percent. The best example on the, that people are going to remember is Ricky Fowler. So Ricky Fowler uh, went back to Butch and Butch is one of like, you know, the idols of all, <laughs> well, not, I would say all, 
but let's say 99.9% of like every golf coach is like, oh my God, Butch Harmon, right? Uh, when Butch was working with Tiger, uh, they came up with the five steps of a swing change, which I'm, I'm a big part of, right? So the first one is you need to know why you're making the change, okay? If you don't know why you're making the change, go see a professional, hmm. okay? That's like number one, okay? Then it's like, is the change going to look better? Okay? It's not going to feel better. It's going to look better. Is it closer to what we want it to look like? Then it's going to start feeling better. Then you can put some pressure on it. Then you can play with it. So if we take that thought and we talk about Ricky uh, about a year or so ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. Ricky posted on Twitter. He's like back with Butch working on my swing. Okay. Old Rich, Ricky swing, new one clubs down the line. Golf Twitter explodes. Oh my goodness. Ricky Fowler's got this like crazy new swing. This is going to be so good. Four months later, five months later, and this is a professional golfer. Okay. Goes out first golf tournament. Where, where's the swing? Back to the old Ricky swing. You put pressure on it and you're going to revert back. You can't tell me that he wasn't trying to, okay. Have a little feel of whatever it was. It takes time. Okay. Four months later, six months later, it slowly starts creeping to where they want it to be because he can no longer make the functional movements okay, that he used to when he was younger and he could lay that club down to be able to keep it on a plane for his swing. So they need to change it. So they knew they needed to change it, started looking better. Okay. Then it probably felt better, but he couldn't put it under pressure yet. So when he got, when he golfed and went back, okay. And then they just went back, it felt better. Then they put pressure on it. I'm sure they played money games and all the other stuff that pros do. Then he could finally put in pressure. Okay. What happens goes out wins. Mm. Just take some time. Yeah. Really well said. I like that, uh, that five step. Uh, so back to you a little bit, your own golf game. So you and I, or maybe I think you mentioned it on, on Twitter about how you were playing a really good round of golf, but maybe couldn't quite close it or, or something along those lines. What with your own mental game, what do you tend to struggle with? What what gets you most often? What are your tendencies mental game-wise? Yeah, so I definitely play better when I don't keep my score. Um, hmm. In that round, uh, I knew I had made five to six birdies already, and I know I had made a birdie or had made a bogey. Um, so I, know I was playing well, but I, when I, I wasn't conscious about it i was just hitting the shot in front of me that's one of my mottos is there's just one shot it's the shot that's in front of you right now just hit that shot okay go find it okay after you can't control where the ball goes you can only control the motion up into impact Mm -hmm. so that round of golf (laughs) i lipped out for i guess it would have been my eighth birdie Mm -hmm. and um the two guys two guys that were members of the club go, Oh my goodness. If that would have went in, you would have been like one shot off of the course record. Well, of course now I'm like, well, where, where am I? Right. And then, so I'm like walking up to the next tee box going, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm seven under like, this is the best round of golf that I've played ever. I mean, I've, I've gotten low before, but it's been like, you know, I birdied the last three holes. This was like my legit first chance of, of having a course record. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. Well, what do you think I did? I got too aggressive. Uh, <laughs> Made some bogeys coming in. And as soon as you make one bogey, then it was like, all right, well, the next hole, I need to get it back. And it's, mm. you know, goes against everything that I try to teach my students. I wasn't thinking about the shot in front of me. I was thinking about like, all right, all right I need to make birdie here, which is like, well, now I'm already thinking about like making that putt instead of hitting the tee shot. So that would be trying to make sure that you stay centered in the moment and hit the shot that's in front of you would be what I need to work on for sure. 
Yeah. Okay. When you when you say I started getting too aggressive, is that like I'm firing at pins because I need to make birdie? Is that what you mean? Um, so putting is not my strong suit. All my buddies will laugh at me. Um, cause I'm a half decent putter, but it's definitely, if you look at my Arcos data, I'll, um, I try to compare myself. I think I'm a, I think I'm trying to compare myself to plus four. And so my driving is like, I'll gain a stroke here or there. Um, iron game was like basically on par. My short game can waver between a plus and a negative, And my putting is like, I lose three to four strokes to them like constantly yeah. that's like over I mean, 15 rounds so when i score well i hit the ball really close to the to the to the cup or i have yeah. like you know like one foot little like tappings um so that par three that i hit i hit and a fine shot like it was a seven or pin high um 15 feet maybe a little bit 15 to 17 feet a putt that i normally would just lag to the hole i'm trying to run the ball into the hole at that point but this one i'm like i'm gonna make this putt hit it too firm, <laughs> rolled out to about six feet, left out that. And I was like, ah, why did I change? Right. Just let the ball roll into the hole rather than mm. trying to force it into the hole. Yeah. Okay. Is that, uh, that's one example of it, but is it, that tends to be what you do when you find out your score or is that all the time? Um, no, I would say the other thing. So at Firethorn, uh, I was one under, maybe through 13 or something like that. And then uh, I, <laughs> I was like, okay, all I need to do is shoot even par through here. I'll be fine. Um, there I got too conservative, which is also a thing that I tell people not to be, I want you to be aggressive off the tee, conservative into, uh, mm-hmm. into the greens. Um, two holes that I could have really hit three with a driver on, I hit hybrid and both of them, or I, sorry, I hit four and a hybrid and both of them ended up being short of my landing area one mm. rolled to a, actually both of them rolled into bunkers mm. um off the tee which is like absolutely no reason <laughs> for that mm. and lost a stroke on both those holes yeah okay so it's it was like a i'm playing pretty decent so i'm gonna take my foot off the gas to Correct. try to coast in yeah yeah that that's a um that's a good player problem uh, both of your both of your things that you need to work on are good player problems because it's we're talking about going low, but it gets in your head a little bit how low you're going. So um, that's that's understandable, but it's also a good problem to have, right? It, it was nice, yeah. Both of them were <laughs> were were good rounds of golf. It, yeah, I I mean that's why golf is so frustrating, right? Is no matter where you are in that bell curve you could always play better. There's always that like shot. But after the round of golf, I mean, both of the round of golf, I sat down and was like, you know what? That's pretty darn good. And it was better than I'd ever golfed at both those courses. Yeah, I should enjoy them, right? And and that's the biggest thing, you know, I I, I always joke about it, but it's like my slogan is like having way more fun out there. You need Mm -hmm. to find, even if you're struggling, you need to find those one or two good shots, one or two good holes that you can remember, hey, I pay to be here, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not being paid. This is not my job. This is a fun thing that I do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Uh, keep keep things in perspective. You you could be um, have only have one leg and not be able to play golf at all. Right. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. So, uh, staying on you a little bit, but it could reveal maybe help for other people. How do 
how does Jason Nickel make his own swing changes? Like, what do you do? What are you work like? First of all, what are you working on right now? And then, how do you go about making that change? For sure. So, uh, first things first is uh, actually work with. Uh, I've worked with. I've shadowed a couple guys, and so I got a couple tips from one guy. Um, it um, was talking a little bit more like that my trail side, which is amazing. And then um, I work with Cheyenne, um for my overall swing. Even coaches need another set of eyes mm-hmm. because sometimes you can see your swing so often <laughs> that you're like, is this what I need to work on? Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, working on my physical limitations. So I'm trying to get stronger. I'm trying to get more stable, which is uh, um something that I really hadn't thought too much about in the past being actually stable within my body. Uh, so I'm working a lot into trying to regain some of that right glute uh, activation and then working obviously on my trail arm, getting the mobility in there and the stability so that I can hope to make some movements in my swing a little bit different. Um, my tendency is uh, another thing of, that I look into is like body types. So I have very long arms mm. <laughs> to shorter torso. Mm. So my overall height, I'm about five ten, uh, but I'm almost six feet uh, in wingspan. I should have been a boxer. Oh, um, I see. Yeah. And so what happens from there is I get a very vertical um, arm structure, um, which then also can work the club a little bit more across the line than I would prefer. Mm. Um, you can of course play good golf from a couple different positions. You make it work. You think about like Freddie Couples or John Daly. But it's easier, okay, if you would get the club going up to the top in a better plane. So that would be one thing that I work on. Now, for that to work on, though, my trail arm needs to stay a little bit more in, okay, it can't fly out as much. So again, going back into like changing things in my body. Right. The the shoulder thing that you've been working on to get that mobility can yeah. it directly addresses that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, obviously, you're in Canada, so golf season is not in its peak right now. So is it <laughs> long, long over? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, you know, condolences to you for that. <laughs> Appreciate um, it. But as far as off season practice, which a lot mm-hmm. of people as they're listening to this, you know, Northeast, uh, United States, right. You know, I've got Canadian listeners as well and, and all over the place, but, um, how, what's the best way to get to get better over the off season, to come out in the spring, not feeling rusty, not feeling like I wasted a bunch of time or I didn't actually move forward. Is it possible to get better and be better by the time the spring comes around? Absolutely. Now it it would differ what you want to get better at or not get rust yet. And so if you're happy with your game, um, once a week, okay, you could just go to a simulator and hit balls and just make sure that you aren't getting too rusty uh, and just have fun, right? Just keep the body moving. If you are looking at making an improvement, again, you need to know what, why, right? Mm-hmm. What are you looking to change? So from there, I would say go seek professional help. That's going to be your first thing. Once you've got what you need to work on, then go either get a net, or you could grab foam balls. I'm a, I, I posted something the other day about just these foam balls you can get on Amazon that you mm-hmm. can hit into a bed sheet. Okay, That's you get exactly a, what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just get a good mat, right? So if you're going to get the divot board, right, then you can get good feedback from. That's awesome. You just do reps. Now, when we talk about making some changes, you don't need to do it for an hour at a time. Your brain's going to shut off. Five minutes then. So if you're working from home, which a lot of people aren't these days, in between conference calls or whatever we're working on, go five, 10 minutes, 
very intense thinking about what you're doing, getting some feedback, then go back, come back, recall training. It's the best way to make some changes. Hey guys, Josh here. Just want to pop in and tell you about an awesome new sponsor of the show, the Divot Board, the game-changing golf training aid designed to elevate your swing and revolutionize your game. Whether you're a beginner teeing off for the first time or an elite player striving for perfection, the Divot Board is your ultimate partner for achieving a consistent and effective golf swing. What sets the Divot Board apart is its patented technology that offers instant feedback, both at home and on the range. With every swing, you gain valuable insights into the crucial point of impact, as well as your swing path, enabling you to make real-time adjustments. It's really just like a divot. This means you'll fine-tune your technique right on the spot, leading to greater consistency and improved ball contact. One of the most important parts of quality practice is instant feedback, and nothing does that like the divot board. It really is just like a real divot. What's truly remarkable is the flexibility the divot board brings to your practice. Whether you're honing your skills with a golf ball or simply focusing on your swing mechanics, the divot board accommodates both preferences. It's your portable golf coach, always ready to provide guidance, whether you're indoors or outdoors. Mike at the divot board was kind enough to send me one, and I personally use mine in my backyard to hit foam golf balls, and it's really cool. I had a little project where I built a hitting platform with a custom cutout sized exactly for the divot board. It's been an awesome way to be able to get quality practice with real feedback without even leaving the house. And with having a one-year-old and running my own business, take it from me, this has honestly been great for my mental and physical health, as well as my golf game. The Divot Board has a genuine turf feel, giving you an authentic golf experience each time you use it. No matter where you are or what your skill level is, this training aid will undoubtedly help you build the confidence and skill you need to excel on the course. And to top it all off, the Divot Board is running an awesome fall sale right now. Now through November 30th, you can get a Divot Board for just $99. That's $40 off the full price. To upgrade your practice and get your Divot Board, go to divotboard.com slash mentalgolfshow and use the discount code mentalgolf10, the number 1010, mentalgolf10 at checkout to get an additional 10% off your purchase or go to the link in the show notes of this episode. Again, that's divotboard.com slash mentalgolfshow and use the offer code mentalgolf10 at checkout to get 10% off. That will bring your Divot Board all the way down to just $90. Don't wait. Go grab it now. Many thanks to Divot Board for partnering with The Mental Golf Show. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I love that. Uh, uh, and that's that's advice to me. I, I've, never, I've never thought short bursts of really intense, and, and this is generally how I think, but like really condensed five minutes of highly focused i'm making this one single change and then a long break between and then five more minutes i absolutely everyone's and including mine's natural inclination is if i just spend an hour on this it's way more productive than random five minute spurts but not true no not at all no Uh, the big thing is adults forget how they learned as kids right you didn't have an intention span when you're a kid to do something 
anything for that long. It was like, Hey, you did this. Then you mm. moved, you did this, you did that. So I coach hockey with my little kid now. And you could, as a parent, right. As like a adult, you want, want to give them all this information. Mm. Uh, well, you, after 30 seconds, you look at the kids and they're just staring <laughs> around. They are no longer thinking about you. The same thing goes to you. Right. And mm. so, yeah, as an adult, you can retain a little bit longer, but yeah, once you get over that, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, your brain is going to start just shutting off. Now that's good later. Okay. When we do like, you know, block practice and like some random stuff, because yeah, in the moment to hit a golf ball. Yeah. You want to like turn your brain off a little bit and you want to be able to just send the ball towards your target. But when we're trying to make a motor pattern change, we want really intense. Am I making that with feedback to be able to let it sink in? Right. Yeah. Really well said. Okay. Two Two more questions and then we'll hit the home stretch. Uh, I appreciate your time, man. This is, this is amazing. Uh, so a question, maybe a silly question that I always ask at the end of these, uh, but it usually brings out some pretty interesting thoughts is what percent of golf is physical and what percent is mental? What do you think? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say, Oh, I don't answer that question. I think, I mean, I don't want to be cliche. I want to say it, it differs from every person. Um, I saw a really good clip. Uh, I think it was Bernhard Langer, I think, mm-hmm. if I remember right. And so he was talking, somewhat, some some interviewer asked him, he's like, how much is like is golf 10% mental or, or 90% 90, mental? Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's like, well, let's go golf. <laughs> you could have the best mental game versus me. And I could be thinking about, you know, what coffee I'm going to order tomorrow and I'll beat you. Mm -hmm. And so for that aspect, yeah, for sure. Skill for him is going to outweigh that. Now, when you are battling with, you know, trying to get to the next level. Okay. And for 99% of golfers out there, that is going to be where you're going to want to help get you to the next level. Now, obviously as a golf coach, my side is like, Hey, I want you to like pick smart targets, you know, get your golf swing in general and better, but yeah, mental game is for sure in there. If you go out there, just even myself in those rounds, right. I mean, I could add a course record if I didn't like overthink things, right. To get to the next level, if you're a hundred, you know, 20, you know, round or 120 uh, score, or if you're a 60, 70 shooter, your mental game is going to be what gets you over the hump for you. And that's why it, that's really important. I, the way you just said that gets it over the hump for you, the, um, the way I think of the purpose of the mental game is it allows your physical game to show, right? If your mental game is is peaked out and you're focused and you're locked in and you're present, your, your physical game is going to have its best opportunity to show. Now, in order to beat Bernhard longer, you're going to have to be as good skill wise as him. And then your mental game needs to be present and focused more than his. 100%. Yeah. So couldn't agree more. Within his peers, better mental game wins out, right? Is that fair to say for based on your? 100% agree with that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, silly question, but also kind of like telling and thoughtful. Yeah, I mean, it's a a great question because it, it just shows that you need both. Yes. Right? You can't just go out and bang balls and not think about that because- then when the pressure comes, if you don't have that, you're not going to play as good a golf or get to the next level that you want to. Right. Okay. Uh, final question. Very serious question here. Uh, bear or shark? 
Oh, I'm a bear, hundred percent. Uh, yeah, great way. Get out of here. Get out of here. Okay, what's what's your what's your argument? Give give it to me. Um, Elevator pitch. So, okay, so as funny as it sounds, I actually did like just a super funny uh, PowerPoint. Um, so sharks, <laughs> really? sharks. Yeah, they can't. If you rotate, so if you grab the hold of a shark and a shark can attack, like they don't they don't attack from level and a six feet pool pool right as crazy as this all ends up being. Um, a shark mostly attacks from below, right? If you watch any film or any of the research of shark attacks, they're always like this. Now there are shark attacks in low water, don't get me wrong, but majority of them are from below. So obviously a polar bear is out of the water, can see the shark. People are like, oh, they can't, it's not going to see him. It's like, well, it's, yeah, it's going to see it. A bear has fought walruses, which are quite large animals, right? So they're used to grabbing, okay, their item. If they were to grab a shark, okay, at any any point in time, if a shark stops moving or flips, they become um, in talk. It's like uh, toxicity of like the ability of like when they flip over, they basically mm. become paralyzed and they're useless. And then because the shark's not swimming, it, it can't breathe and therefore would die. <laughs> okay. If you want to go one step forward, if the bear saw the shark in the pool of water, the bear could just get out of the pool and the bear could survive. The shark would die in the pool. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you know, if we're if we're trapped in in this in this area, then where's <laughs> how's the bear going to survive, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the best part of the the whole thing. But <laughs> you know, it's like you know, you, you just got to pick a side and 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 uh, what's it? Uh, dig your heels in. I think is what I, I, I like. Says. I like your arguments. I, I really do. I don't have much grounds uh, to say that I'm a shark, but but I am. Uh, Jason, he's watching. He can see my little shark head cover right here. So I'm I'm, I'm a shark, but I don't have a great reason for it. You have clearly great reasons to be a bear. So. Hats off to you on that. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so uh, enough of that silliness. Uh, where would you point people to find you? Like, where? Uh, how would you direct people to to learn more about you? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the easiest way they're going to find me is social media. So it'll be Jason Nickel uh, at I guess it's X now, uh, mm -hmm. or on Instagram it's Nickel Golf, and then you can find all of my um, golf instruction on the Skillist app. Um, you can just search me up there. Uh, I'd love to help you out. Okay. And are you taking all comers at this point on skills? Yeah, for sure. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Love helping all golfers. Awesome, man. Awesome. Okay. Uh, I, I lied. One final question off the top of your head. If you could recommend a book or a resource, uh, what would it be? That's a great one. How much um, of a reader? Do you do a lot of reading? Yeah. Yeah. I, lo I love it. Um, I, I actually always wanted to, make, I, I don't make too many fun Instagram videos, but I would definitely love to make one where I'm sitting down talking about like reading. Um, yes, I have like please. the thought in my head, but um, the, the three, I would go three books. So the three books that I would go, um, I would go John Sherman's four foundations of golf. It's a mm -hmm. fantastic book. I would go uh, Mark Brody's uh, every shot counts. And then the last one, which is probably the, one of the first golf books that I ever wrote um, or read was uh, Adam Young's practice plan mm. was um, really a deep thought into like, Hey, how people learn and how you get better at learning mm -hmm. to get better at golf. Yes. Yeah. Right. And if I could throw in a couple more, uh, Please. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd for sure go atomic habits. Uh, okay, even yeah. if you don't want to get better at golf, that book is how you get better at anything in life. So if you want to get better at your job, get better at being, you know, a husband or a wife, getting fitter, 
that mm. that book is it's amazing okay yeah we've got a got a little jason nickel reading list i like it <laughs> little uh, little amazon group yeah Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, I I really appreciate it. This has been an incredible, rich conversation. So thank you for your time, Jason. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jason. And in case some of you don't listen to the Chasing Scratch podcast, first off, you should. Second off, the whole bear versus shark debate is something the Chasing Scratch guys started. If you think a bear has any chance against a great white shark in its home habitat of the water, then I think you're crazy. But apparently Jason has some pretty good talking points, and honestly, uh, he's way smarter than me and clearly has looked into this way more than me. Anyway, uh, I hope you learned a thing or two about your own game and how to make changes and how to better relate to your own changing golf game. That's generally a very important theme of the mental golf show and something that I think about all the time with my work with players is making thoughtful changes for the better. And Jason comes at it from a really great place. And if you like this episode, you probably like a couple of my recent episodes with Kyle Alderink and Ryan Moke. Both of those guys are swing instructors that come and go- come at golf in a much bigger way than just the swing. Those were all released back in September and October of this year. Go check them out. And as I always mentioned at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and entertainment purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I encourage you to go talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, if you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it and you'd like to work one-on-one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their minds so they can improve their performance on the course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. And again, if you want to improve the quality of your practice and get the most out of your time, then let me hand build you a custom weekly practice plan. Go to joshnicholsgolf.com slash practice dash plan, or go to the link in the show notes to learn more. I also encourage you to go take the mental game assessment. It's a free 15 minute questionnaire that will give you your mental strengths and your areas for mental improvement. The link to everything, including Jason Nichols stuff will be in the show notes of this episode. All right. Thanks again to everyone who listens to the mental golf show, whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community that you have been a part of building. If you've learned something on this episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen, and maybe mention the biggest thing that you've learned, uh, whether it's this episode or across all of your listening to The Mental Golf Show, underneath your five-star review. And I'd love it if you shared this episode with a friend who feels like they should be getting better, but maybe they're just not staying patient enough with the process. They definitely need to hear Jason's thoughts on it. Okay, thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys next time.